On today's episode of the Elevate Your Booking Show, we talk about cancellation policies, how they impact your ability to get new guests, and what the right cancellation policy is to balance your need for occupancy with your need to get more bookings. So I'm with Alessandra as always. Alessandra, how's it going today? Good. How is everything with you? doing awesome. We're talking about today on the traveler side and the guest side, you hope you don't have to do, but as a host or manager, you probably had to do before, which is cancel, cancel a trip or cancel vacation. Obviously, it's never a fun thing to do if you're on the guest side. And it's a bummer if you're a host or manager, right? You you know, assume a booking is going to come in, you assume you're going to be able to help that guest have a great stay. And then they call you or message you or send you some sort of message that says they want to cancel. Always a tough situation. So I really thought we'd talk today about talking about the last 18 months. It's hard to you know talk about cancellation without talking about all the COVID-related changes that have happened on the platforms in the past year and a half or so. And then also just discuss what the other opportunities are for setting the right cancellation policy going forward as we head into 2022 and beyond. So Alessandra, tell me your history, if you don't mind, with your cancellation policy. What did they look like in 2019 and how have they evolved since then? With my cancellation policy, when I first started in the vacation rental industry, I started off with a strict policy. And I think that's something that a lot of hosts tend to start with because we get worried. So I think a lot of us try to, we always flow towards the strict cancellation policy. But as time went on, I moved on to moderate. So moderate is basically the... They'll get all their money back within 30 days before arrival. And then 14 days prior to arrival, if they cancel, they only get uh, 50% of their money back. And then after that, it's no money back. So I kind of work on the moderate cancellation policy. And then once COVID had happened, I just didn't have a policy. I just, if they had to cancel last minute, I just allowed it because in that time, there was just so much craziness going on. And I didn't feel right keeping anyone's money, especially during the the pandemic. So I just allowed them to last minute if they had to cancel, it was totally fine. I would just refund them. And now we've seen an uptick and things are getting better, which for me is a little bit different. The US rentals, a lot of people did very well during COVID versus mine is on the island of Aruba. And it was difficult because the island did shut down at one point and no one was allowed to enter. So things are now just starting to normalize. So I've gone back to my moderate for now. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I think on the traveler guest side of things, how I perceive it as someone that's, you know, booked vacation rentals before is and understands the industry at a decent level. I get it. We want to protect the revenue that is coming in. And let's be honest, once you take a reservation or a booking, you can't take a, there's no like backup reservation for that date. So if I cancel, I've essentially left you high and dry as a guest. But I think the, you know, what really changed during COVID, of course, is Airbnb just completely relaxing the policy and going back, some would say, on their you know, their longstanding policy that have been in place for some time. For a host, I would say it had a moderate to potentially pretty severe impact if you're relying on some of that money to, let's say, pay your mortgage, like people that have mm-hmm. shared space listings or people that use that money to pay the mortgage and Airbnb just unilaterally refunded all the money. I will say it seemed to win over some of the guests' loyalty, though. So you can see why Airbnb did that. If they think of the guest as the customer versus you, that was more customer-centric move on their part to make sure that the guest was kept whole, even if the host or manager was left in a tough spot. I think in some cases, it's a little bit tougher where if you're a property manager, and in some cases, you might have sent that money along to that owner already. And now you're having to go back to the owner and be like, yeah, that $2,000 I sent you, it's no longer here. <laughs> the guest canceled or Airbnb refunded the money. That's a tougher situation to be in. So for a property manager, I feel for them the most. And we have many clients that we've worked with over the years 
of course, that are property managers, and they're put in the toughest position of all because they're trying to advocate for the owner, right, who has that property, and it's, that's the asset they're trying to control. They want to advocate for the guests because they need the guests to come back and have a good experience staying with them. And they're trying to make a living too as the middle person in between all these different entities. So I think managers have it the toughest when it comes to cancellation. As an owner or a host where you own the property, I think it's a little bit more straightforward, I would say. I wouldn't say easy because it's never an easy decision to just give up money and give up revenue when I'm sure you would appreciate that revenue and money coming in. But it is more straightforward to say this person is about to come into the property and they tested positive for COVID, let's say that's a tough situation to be in. I'm willing to refund them because obviously they didn't want to do that. And that's, you know, that's easy to do. As you mentioned, I think a moment ago, there's a lot of gray area between 15 days before arrival, 30 days before arrival. What's mm -hmm. the right venue in which we should allow someone to cancel? So some things that we've seen from a marketing perspective during the past year and a half or so is changing payment dates. So for example, allowing full payments to be made at a date closer to arrival, that seems to make people a little bit more comfortable. So let's say they're, they owe the balance of their stay 14 days or seven days before their arrival versus many of the clients that we've worked with, traditional property managers. Sometimes you owe that money 60 days before arrival. I've seen that in some markets where people almost pay for a summer vacation back in January you know, of that year. I don't think you're seeing that quite as much anymore, but that used to be the case some time ago. Some people allow cancellations with full refunds like two weeks before. I think you mentioned that a moment ago when it comes to this mm -hmm. spectrum of flexible district. Maybe moderate would be an example where you get a 50% refund 14 days prior to check-in. Flexible would be a 50% refund up to seven days prior to check-in. Everything else could kind of be in the middle there. What kind of makes the most sense? What are some marketing angles that you think that a host could use or a manager could use if they do have to cancel a booking, whether they get some or none of the money back? How could they try to get that rental rebooked in your experience? I think if you do have social media, obviously you would put it on your social media. I see that a lot where they, if there's a last minute cancellation, I do see a lot of property managers, they'll post it and they'll post them. For example, for Aruba, there's a, a lot of different Facebook groups when it comes to vacation rentals or even like the Aruba group itself. And you'll see a lot of owners posting in there. They'll be like last minute cancellation, it's open. So they do it in that kind of way through Facebook and Instagram. Of course, you could always use email marketing and send out a quick little email to those that you have in your email list. Conrad. Yeah, we've helped some of our clients with that a lot over the years where last minute availabilities or last minute openings, I should say, pop up. Uh, there's some availability that wasn't there before. And email, I think, is a great way to go about it because you can even segment that list a little bit. If you're feeling desperate that you could send it out to the whole list, but a lot of our clients will choose to, let's say, for example, only send it to people who have stayed during that same month in years past. So let's say a cancellation happens for June 1 to June 7th of 2022. You're sitting there in the middle of May. You're concerned that you're not going to be able to fill it. You may want to reach out to all of your past guests who have booked during June of 2021 and 20. 19 and 2018 and 2017 and see if maybe they may be interested if you're in a market that has a moderate amount of repeat guests. Obviously, you could slash the rates. So that's a marketing strategy mm -hmm. to some degree. Hey, we had a cancellation. We brought the rates from 3000 a week to 2500 a week. Here's the property if someone has a little bit more flexibility in their schedule, or if they're willing to just kind of get up and get moving. That's something that can be successful. I think that you mentioned earlier too, the type of property you have obviously is going to dictate to some degree how successful some of these marketing ideas are going to be. If you're in a drive-to market, like where I live in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, people are 
can literally decide to drive down on a Wednesday and come down on Saturday. It's a relatively easy decision to make. If you're on, a, if you have a vacation rental on a you know remote Caribbean island, it's a little bit tougher, right? Someone has to book a flight. There's a lot more logistics and planning involved in that. So I think your marketing strategy should match or mimic what sort of inventory you have. Even bigger properties are difficult to fill, even in a drive-to market. If you have a seven, eight, nine, ten bedroom house, those typically aren't the ones that go last minute, right? These are the ones that typically book up quite far in advance because it's a group traveling. It's a lot of people coming in. So cancellations are always a little bit tougher on the bigger properties than they are on a one or two bedroom condo that is relatively easy to fill even a short time before arrival date. So I think these are things to all keep in mind from a marketing perspective. And even just letting you know people know on your website too, I think that's one missing piece that we don't see a lot of people doing. Even our own clients, I think, don't always have that page on their website dedicated to all their last minute openings and availabilities. But it's definitely a page that can have success. One of the clients that we worked with for some time has a page on his website just simply called last minute deals. For his, you actually have to call. So it's really even not even the most sophisticated way of doing that from a marketing standpoint. But it does list the property on the page. It lists the dates that it's available. It lists the rate. And then it says call you know, to book this property. And these are typically properties that have like less than 10 days to arrival with the little gap that they have in there. And they've had success with that page just promoting that on social media, or like you said, sending it out via an email list. And then what you're doing a little bit too, in my opinion, is you're training that guest to understand, oh, if I do have some last minute you know, vacation ideas in my head, I know I can always go here. I can find this page here and I can see what's available last minute. And you're training that guest that you're that one-stop shop, hopefully for their normal booking window. Let's say they're planning a trip in the fall for the next summer or something like that. Or hey, I want to go to the beach this weekend. I want to go to the lake this weekend. I want to go to the mountain this weekend. For these leisure markets, I think you're going to see a lot more of that last minute opening and availability that you can fill if you market it and promote it. The other thing that what else I want to talk about is that we, before we did this podcast, I was looking at some research and I want to talk about what they're saying the best cancellation policy is. So they say that the average cancellation rate is 15.7%. And they say using a strict policy People normally believe they're going to receive less cancellations, which is true, but only 12% of the strict bookings get canceled, but you're getting fewer bookings in the end. Only a 3% difference between the two in terms of cancellation rate. Yeah. And then when looking further, they're saying using a flexible or moderate policy, you're going to have a little bit more of cancellations, but in the end, you're going to receive more bookings. So when you're getting canceled bookings with a flexible, moderate policy, that's between a 13% to 19% in cancellations, which in the end is not that much of an uptick from having a strict policy. Yeah. I think that's the era that we're in right now too. A lot has changed in the past year and a half. We all know right. that. But I think flexibility is one thread that I think is running through a lot of a lot of the adaptability sort of uh, changes that we're seeing. People want to be able to work from different places. That's what we talked about a bit in our last episode. People want to be able to maybe make a reservation and then change it, you know, last mm -hmm. minute or something like that. So yeah, being a little bit more flexible with people and giving them a little bit more flexibility as far as dates and giving, you know, partial refunds at least if you can, especially if you can rebook that stay. I think that's, like you said, the right marketing strategy. And it appears the data backs up that the downside, you know, is fairly minimal in terms of being a little bit more flexible. And the upside is that you you might end up with more more revenue at the end of the day, even if you have a cancellation here and there that hurts your bottom line in the short term. Over the long term, it's the right strategy to employ going forward. And then there's the other thing that I was reading into actually that obviously with cancellation policies, it, it also depends, like you said earlier, the size of the home, the size from a condo to a, a bigger home. I spoke to one woman and she said, they have large homes. So for them, they find it harder to book last minute. So they 
prefer to use a stricter policy versus a smaller homes, it might be easier because obviously the nightly rate is much lower. So that makes sense. So that's also something that people need to, hosts need to look into. And it's always that trial and error trying to see which policy is going to work best for your rental. And the other thing that I thought was interesting is that there's a new idea floating around where you give credits versus refunds for cancellations. So Hmm. basically you would say, okay, you know what? You have a credit for a year. You can come back anytime during the year from the date of cancellation and you will be credited for your stay. So basically as a host, you're not losing, you're not losing the money and the guest gets to come back. So I think in some areas that works. But again, for me, I've tried it once with a client, but because again, my rentals in Aruba, there's more logistics, flying, airplane, more money versus where you are and people can easily drive. So I thought that's a new great idea. I think giving credits instead of a refund. So you don't end up losing your money. I think it's a good middle ground that's favorable and right both on the guest side of things. Hey, I can still come back and enjoy a vacation at a later time. And it's also keeping the owner and the manager somewhat intact from a financial standpoint. So if credits make sense, I think that's something worth exploring depending on the property. One note too on the larger properties that I wanted to mention, and this was based on a conversation that we had with another client recently, is that it's true that a last minute cancellation is much more likely, I would say, to occur in a smaller property. It's also that if someone's coming with 10 or 12 people, one person not coming to that large home, they, they may not cancel. So if, if there's a group of 10 people coming for a specific event or gathering and one person you know happens to not come, well, the other 10 probably still are going to come to the vacation or the trip. So I think that's another thing to keep in mind with these larger um, properties is that you have a lot more kind of stakeholders, if you will, in a way. You have a lot more guests coming in to that property to stay, which kind of works to your detriment in times and then can also, I think, work to your benefit. One person not coming is most likely not going to cancel this day unless it happens to be something family or generational or something like that, multi-generational travel where if grandma doesn't come, we're not going to come to the property. That could be a situation that pops up. But I think that's the case as well is that larger homes, I feel like someone's less likely to cancel just if one or two people can't make it. So I think those mm-hmm. are things to, to keep in mind. But people should take a look at what their competition is doing too, because ultimately we research our competition for rates. We research our competition for photography or what, how are they putting their properties together, amenities, all this kind of stuff. People should do a little bit of research in their particular market. Yes, definitely. That's, you know, with anything you should research your competition, what everyone is doing around you, like you just said with rates, what they're doing with cancellation policies. Of course, that's something that you need to do. And then there's the other factor of advising guests to purchase traveler's insurance. So that's a way for them to just If something does happen, they don't lose their money and it's just something that you can have as an extra thing in your pocket while you're traveling. Yeah, I think that's the ultimate policy, right? Where no one gets or no one gets the short end of the stick. If someone, a guest comes in and purchase, purchases travel insurance, has to cancel for whatever reason, when it's outside of whatever policies have been set aside by you, the host or manager, and you can then go to the guest and say, no problem, you know, submit the proper information to this travel insurance policy. They get paid, they get their money back. You still get paid as the property manager. That's a win-win. Do you, do you offer travel insurance to guests that stay with you? Or do you just recommend that they go to a third-party uh, vendor or source to get that information or to get that? product I should yes, say. Yes, I actually I tell them to do that themselves because honestly for me I just don't want to involve myself in that type of thing. But yes, I do advise them to get their own traveler's insurance. I know that when I travel, I do get insurance too, because you just don't know what's going to happen. Sure. Things pop up. And certainly at some of the conferences that I've been to in the past, I think a lot of these popular insurance providers out there do love to tell stories about claims that they paid out and crazy situations that have occurred. And that's the case. You just never know what's going to happen. So 
if something not even tragic, if just something happens where you're not able to go on the trip, it's good to at least get your money back. And it's still a bummer that you may have lost. If it was a leisure trip, it bummer to lose a vacation. But if you can be made whole again financially, you can go take another trip later that year or, or something like that. So I think that's a good option for people to explore. And if you're a host out there that's not encouraging people to offer traveler insurance, I would say that's something to include in your email sequence. Maybe it's a post-booking sequence or a pre-rival sequence to encourage that. Then it's a bit of a cover your rear type move in the sense Mm of the guests, you can then point to the guests and say, if they try to cancel later on, you go to them and say, hey, look, I always encourage, as you can see in all my pre-arrival communication, I always encourage you to purchase traveler's insurance because something popped up, you're outside of the cancellation window that I've set aside. And this is the policies that I've set up. And the best way for you to mitigate the risk on your side as the guest would be to have insurance. So I think it's something that um, a host could just mention in their pre-arrival communication. And then I think as many managers, property managers that we work with, they actually offer it You know, through one of the popular vendors out there in the marketplace. They offer that service as almost like an add-on when they're making the booking. Hey, do you want to add insurance to this purchase, to this reservation? You know, it's typically, I've seen some where it's like $50 fee or $100 fee. It's typically not a significant amount of money, but it does protect you in the case of something going wrong. In fact, we have a client in the North Carolina coast area who had a hurricane hit his destination a few years ago. And I think he said something like 65% of people who had booked with him during that kind of weeks and the weeks following had purchased travel insurance. So for those people, it was an unfortunate situation to lose their beach vacation, but a hurricane was certainly an act that was covered by this insurance. So they lost their vacation, but they weren't losing their their money. So I think that's a good way to look at things is that things like hurricanes can pop up. It's not anything inside your control, but it's always good to have some coverage in the case of something like that happening. So to recap, Alessandra, what should people be doing with this whole process? How should they be thinking about their cancellation policy? How should they be communicating it to the guest? How should they handle it if a cancellation does occur? And how do they protect both themselves and the traveler? So as we discussed, we think, and the research that we've done, flexible and moderate policy is probably the best way to go because that way you'll get more bookings. But then again, you also have to do the research on your end to see what's going on in your area, what other uh, hosts are doing in your area. Of course, you have to look into what your competition is doing. You always have to do your research. And obviously, I always say trial and error everything. That's how I kind of function in life. If you don't trial and error, you're not going to know what's going to work best for you and your vacation rental business or any business in general. I think always do the research and trial and error. So that's very important. There's also, we discussed that new idea of only allowing credits instead of refunds. That's something that you could test as well in your vacation rental business and see how it works for you with your guests. So that's also something that you could look into. And of course, we said the Thing that's always going to probably save you and your guests is either offering their travelers insurance or, of course, encouraging them to buy that. And you could do that in your sequence of messages or any contact you have with your guests prior to their arrival. So I think those are really the main and important things when it comes down to cancellations. I think that's a great recap. Yeah, I think if a host or manager is listening and they take those steps and think about this process a bit, I think they'll be in a better position overall. Not saying that cancellations aren't going to occur, not saying that occasionally you're not going to lose a booking that you could have had otherwise, but I think that sort of path sets up the best building blocks for success over the long term. So I think that's awesome, Alessandra. Let's put a bow on it right there. Thanks for listening. If you've appreciated the show or you get value out of it, we always appreciate a review. You could leave a review on whatever podcasting app of choice or in the iTunes store. If you enjoy what you're hearing, you could always check us out over at Guesthook. Go to guesthook.com or you can email us info at guesthook.com and we can help you out with any of your marketing needs. And please give a listen for us going forward. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.